example. And then Tony will come and explain this to us in a little bit uh, as we continue our series, Searching. So Ecclesiastes chapter 3 from verse 1, and I'm reading from the ESV. For everything there is a season, a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pick up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beast, for all is vanity. All go to one place, all from the dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? And I'll invite the band up again. Thanks, Sam and the team, for leading us this morning. Uh, If you haven't met me, my name's Tony, and... uh It's my privilege to open God's Word with you this morning, so please have it open. If you've got a Bible with you or a phone, uh, just flip open to Ecclesiastes 3 as we work our way through there um, this morning. Before we do that, though, before we dive into it together, why don't we pray and ask God to speak to us by his life-giving Word. Father, thank you so much for your goodness to us, even as we've been singing 
celebrating and reflecting on who you are and what you've done for us. As we heard from the kids this morning about all that they are learning and discovering about you and what you're like and your great love and faithfulness and power and mercy. Please, Lord, as we come now to open your word, would you speak to us? Take your word by your spirit and bring it home to us for our good and for your glory, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I don't know whether you've worked this out, but as we go through life, there's this thing that can happen to some of us. I'm not sure whether it happens to men and women to the same degree, but certainly to men, I think, there's this thing that can happen to us called a midlife crisis. Um, uh, you know, after perhaps uh, somewhere in your mid-30s is where it most likely happens. So if you're at 34, get ready for it. Um, you know, after nearly four decades of trying to find meaning in life, up until this point, perhaps feeling close to invincible, able to climb any mountain, leap any tall building, uh, all of these things. And then all of a sudden you find, oh, I've got a few more aches. Where, where did these come from? I didn't play any sport. Why am I aching? Um, you know, competitive sport actually starts to become no longer an option for you. Uh, visits to the physio are more common. Doctors would start talking to you about cholesterol and heart disease and so on. And you realise all of a sudden that probably, given the statistics, you're past the halfway mark. And you think, is it all downhill from here? And then you maybe ask yourself questions like, what have I achieved? I mean, I've been going for a while. What have I got to show for it? Perhaps life is a long way from what I hoped and dreamed it would be and you might even find yourself asking the question, what's the point of it all? Uh, one of the key symptoms of this uh, particular illness uh, of uh, midlife crisis is taking out a personal loan, buying a sports car and a new wardrobe. Um, or, more seriously, beginning to despair, becoming depressed, which is no laughing matter at the time. Um, as we come to Ecclesiastes 3 and as we've been working our way through it, you could be forgiven for thinking that it's something like that that's kind of happening to the writer of Ecclesiastes. At first glance, it can seem kind of depressing, all a bit gloomy in many ways. But a closer look reveals that that's not actually what's happening to the preacher at all. On the contrary, by the time you get to chapter 3, he's actually starting to gain some real clarity and some real wisdom as he observes life under heaven, he's been observing it and testing it and, and, and he's, he's getting some wisdom about life as we know it and as we experience it under heaven or under the sun. Up to now, his conclusions have been everything is vanity or empty or Havel, as Justin introduced us to, this grasping for the wind, kind of trying to grab hold of something that you find is not there. He's looked at pleasure and whether that's worth uh, pursuing. He's looked at good decisions and with the implications of that and where that lands you. He's looked at work and career and kind of come to the conclusion that it's all vanity, it's empty. And in fact, it can be frustrating and deeply unsatisfying. Uh, but as we come to chapter 3, notice verse 1. It's, it sounds a little bit different, don't you think? Have a listen again. For everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. For everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. 
life all of a sudden sounds like it might actually have a bigger purpose to it. You might even hear in that uh, verse 1 there a note of optimism about life under heaven. Maybe just a slight quiet note, but you could hear that. And as we read this, this wonderful piece of poetry that's become so famous, and if you're old enough, you'll know that a group called The Birds put this to music. Not that we're going to listen to that, or I'm certainly not going to sing it to you. Um, you'll notice as you look at this bit of poetry, it's, kind of, it's not like the preacher sugarcoats the realities of life, is it? The highs and lows are all there, the complexities and simplicities, the jubilations on the one hand and the frustrations on the other, the joys on the one hand and the sorrows on the other. They're all there in verses 2 through 8. Have a look again with me. He says there's a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. Time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A a time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. It's all there. Birth and death he starts with. And then he kind of fills out everything in between that we might experience, the times and seasons that we might encounter as we live our lives under heaven or under the sun. They're kind of interesting things, aren't they? The way he speaks of them, a time to plant and a time to pluck up. Well, that's pretty straightforward. Well, there's the sowing and there's the harvesting and there's the replanting and so on of the next crop. A time to kill and a time to heal. That's that's a bit of a strange one for us, but perhaps in, in his day there were laws in place in, the, in, in society and under God's law where there would be the death penalty for certain things. So it's, there's a time when those things are uh, expressed and there's a time to kill and there's a time to heal. Time to demolish, to break down buildings or uh, constructions or whatever, and a time to build, time to weep, perhaps because of certain events that have happened in life, a time to laugh because of certain events in life, a time to mourn and a time to dance. You can think maybe of a funeral, time to mourn and to dance, a wedding. There they are, all these experiences that we have in life, a time to cast away stones and gather stones, time to embrace, time to hold back. Not wise to embrace at this point in time. Time to love. And a time to hate, a time to love that which is good and wholesome and right and true and a time to hate that which is evil and wrong and unjust and so on. All these times are there under heaven. But notice his conclusions that he reaches about all this in verse 9 through 14. His findings, if you like. He's observing all this and this is the conclusions that he reached. Verses 9, he comes back to that same question he's asked before. What gain has the worker from all his toil? Answer, none. Now the point is clear that he's making here and it's this. Though we may be able to change perhaps our standard of living, and some of the circumstances of our life, we cannot change the seasons of our lives. 
No matter who we are, no matter what part of the social status we're from, no matter how successful or how unsuccessful, we cannot change the seasons of our life. We will all experience them. And it's actually foolish for us to try and control them. But that's what we try and do, right? It's simply not possible for us. We're coming into summer. I think we've got, what, 10 days left of spring? Been a bit of an odd spring this year. Is that right? I got that right? Maybe I need to talk to my mate Braden Marshall who works out at Bureau of Meteorology. He can correct me on this stuff. He's away at the moment, but he does work out there at the Bureau of Meteorology. I wonder what he does when he goes out there. I think he's quite high up in the organisation. What does he do? Well, he observes the seasons. I don't know whether you know this, but they don't control the seasons out there at Bureau of Meteorology. They observe them. We might complain about the seasons, <laughs> just a little bit. It's too hot, it's too cold, it's too wet, it's too dry. But we don't control them. Neither do we control the seasons of our lives. There's a time for everything under heaven. So the question then becomes, are we just slaves to them? Are we just slaves some kind of, to some kind of purposeless fate in the various seasons of our lives? You know, we're kind of like the little kid in the, in the shallows of the beach getting kind of just knocked over by wave after wave of all sorts of different things. Is that, is that what's going on here? We'll have a look at verses 10 to 14. He goes on to say, I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so, they, so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to humanity or to man. Verse 10 and 13 make it very clear that life and all its seasons is something that comes to us from a good and sovereign God. Life is a good gift to us from a good and sovereign God, not something to be controlled by us. It's not something that that can be or it needs to be because there's a good God who's on the throne, who's in control of every season and circumstance and experience of our life. Friends, how liberating is that? To be able to live confidently, receiving life as a good gift with all its seasons from a good and sovereign God. That's so liberating. I don't have to control everything. Verse 14 tells us that God has designed things this way so that people may fear him or worship him. Verse 14 says, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. He's in control. Nothing can be added to it or taken from it. God has done it this way so that people fear him or worship him or revere him. 
so that we as humans realize that we are not in control and he is in control over everything. And so he is worthy of our reverence and fear and honor and awe. And when we know he is both sovereign and good, our love, our delight and our joy. And notice verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. That's phenomenal. Everything that he's just listed. What's he saying? It's kind of like Romans 8.28. For all things work to good. For, together for good for those who love God and according, called according to his purpose. You see, as we fear him as we were meant to and trust him as the one who's in control of all things, he is at work in every season of our lives for our good and for his glory. Even those list of things there, he can bring and does bring beauty Out of them, even the hardest and most difficult of those circumstances, he will bring beauty out of it. Which is astonishing, isn't it? Though we are sinners, those who have rebelled against him, though the whole creation, this whole world under heaven is under the curse of sin and affected by it, and as Romans 8 says, groaning under it. Even in amongst all that, God makes everything beautiful in its time. God brings beauty even in amongst all of that. He has not abandoned his creation and he will not abandon you as you turn to him and trust in him even in the most difficult seasons of your life. He will do good to you. He will bring beauty to your life, even in those seasons. And in fact, especially often in those seasons, right? And so life is something that we are to receive joyfully and with thankfulness to the God who gave it to us. Life under heaven All its times and seasons need not be vanity. They need not to be havel. They need not to be grasping at the wind, but rather received as a good gift from a good and sovereign God. But that's not all the preacher starts to realise and reveal here in Ecclesiastes 3. Notice the preacher also alludes to the fact that there's more than just this life under heaven. Look at verse 11 again. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into people's hearts. Into people's hearts, there's this sense of eternity. And friends, doesn't that ring true to you? It's one of the things that's so good about the Word of God. It rings true with who we are and how we're made. 
Yeah, think about it for a minute. In our more reflective moments about life, maybe when we're faced with the re- reality of our own mortality, maybe at that funeral that we went to, or maybe when we're somewhere and we're looking up at the stars in that beautiful night sky, clarity and clear, and they're all gleaming at you, and you get a sense of your own finiteness. Now we find ourselves in times like that, sensing deep within us that there must, there must be more than this. There must be more than this. And the preacher tells us that God put that sense there. God has put eternity in our hearts. And again, no surprise, God is eternal. We are made in his image. It's no surprise that we would have that sense of eternity there somewhere, right? preacher also struggles with the fact that things are not right under the sun have a look at verse 16 moreover he says i saw under the sun that in the place of justice even there was wickedness in the place of righteousness even there was wickedness i said in my heart god will judge the righteous and the wicked for there is a time for every matter and for every work The preacher, again, doesn't sugarcoat things, does he, about this life? He says there's injustice everywhere. Even in the highest level of our institutions, even where it's supposed to be in the judicial system or whatever it is, where it's supposed to be right, even there there's wickedness and evil and power-controlling games and domination and, and the abuse of authority and so on. He's looking at it. He's seeing that that, 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 that that which is good and right should exist there, and yet it doesn't. There's wickedness and corruption and evil and justice, and, and, and it almost seems like it has the upper hand. Sound familiar? But verse 17, the preacher consoles himself, reminding himself of a time when God will judge. God is just, he says. And he will judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time for every matter and for every work. Verse 17. See, not only is there a time for all the seasons of life under heaven in God's purposes, but there is a time for the judgment at the end of life under God's rule. A time when God will put all things right, when he will bring all injustices to an end, when he will end time as we know it and usher in eternity. Now, the preacher at this point doesn't have a lot of clarity about exactly what that will look like as he sits at this point in God's unfolding revelation in history, I mean, he's very clear. He knows that we are all from dust and to dust we shall return. He's very clear about death and judgment, that they are certain. But that's about it from his vantage point. He kind of finishes his chapter with some some questions in verse 21 and Verse 22, he says, Who knows whether the spirit of a man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth? 
I saw that there is nothing better than a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? At this point, you know, once you die, nobody can tell us what's happening after death. But friends, that's where we sit at a better vantage point, don't we? We sit at a better advantage point and we do know these things because God has made them known through the person of his son, the Lord Jesus. Jesus is from heaven and is eternal and he has stepped into time bringing God's revelation to us. Listen to what he says in John's John's Gospel. He says, you are from below. That is, you are from under heaven or under the sun. I am from above. You are from this world or you are of this world. I am not of this world. Jesus has come from heaven, from outside of time and stepped into time and brought with him the revelation of God. But more than that, he has stepped into time and brought with him the salvation of God. Listen to Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. It's actually verse 4 and 5. Ignore the 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. You see, a, a time arrived. You know, there's a time for everything under heaven, all these different things, but there's a time for Jesus, the Son of God, to come and redeem those who will put their hope and trust in him. And we're on the other side of that. Jesus has stepped into time, bringing God's salvation with him. And because of this, until he returns again and brings in eternity, listen to this, as Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 2, for he says, In a favorable time I have listened to you, and a day of salvation I have helped you. Look at this. Behold, now is a favorable time. Or as another translation puts it, now is the time of God's favour, of God's undeserved love and grace. Now is the day of salvation. Do you see what's being said here? There's a time for all these things, a time to be born, a time to die and so on. But because of the Lord Jesus, it is the time to be saved. And it's still the time. It's been the time since his death and his resurrection and it will continue to be the time until he returns. So now is the time to be rescued, to be redeemed, to be made right with God, to have your sins forgiven, to be given perfect righteousness that you could never attain to yourself. All because Jesus stepped into time in his great love for us. How good is that? 
We don't know how long this time continues for, though, right? So there's an urgency. There's a there's a in terms of you know make the most of the time. <laughs> like if you haven't yet turned to Jesus and put your trust in Him to put you right with God, don't 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 delay because this time might finish. We don't know when it's going to finish. We know it is going to finish. But God is incredibly patient, long-suffering, not wanting that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So at the moment, this time is open. But one day when Jesus comes back, it will conclude. It's time to have your sins forgiven. It's time to be given the perfect righteousness of Jesus. It's time to be made right with your maker. It's time to enter eternal life through the Lord Jesus and all that he's done for you. Have you done that? Because though now is the time of God's favour, there is coming a day when it's the time for God's judgement. In Acts chapter 17 we read this, because he has fixed the day on when he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So it must be Jesus, right? He's the only one who can, if you like, answer this question. Who can bring us to see what will be after us? He's the only one who's come back from the grave. He's the only one who can answer that question. And God has fixed a day when, through him, he will perfectly, absolutely perfectly and justly bring perfect justice to his world. God is both gracious and just. Salvation is a gift from him. And now is the time. Now is the time. So come to him. Come and put your hope and trust in him. Don't delay. Now is the time of his favour. So in conclusion, what does the preacher say? Verse 12, For I perceive that there is nothing better than for them, that's for people, than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live and that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in his toil. This is God's good gift to man. Verse 22, So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. What's the conclusion of the preacher? With the limited revelation that he has, and our conclusion should be clearer because we have got a lot more where we stand in God's plans and history. Here's just a few things for you to take home. This means what we've seen this morning, that we can joyfully receive our lives with all its various seasons as a good gift from our sovereign God. How often are we kind of looking straight past the season that we're in, wishing we were in another season? Do you have that problem? I do. The preacher's saying no. There are all sorts of seasons. And God is able to bring beauty out of all of them. The, you know, the jubilant ones and the sorrowful ones. So receive it now, today, with whatever season you're in. And it might be excruciating, but it might be 
full of joy. So we can joyfully receive our lives. Confidently, we can walk through the most difficult seasons knowing that God can bring beauty out of even them. This is how good he is. For his glory and for our good. Number three, we can joyfully receive the favour and salvation of God that he graciously holds out to us in the Lord Jesus through his death and resurrection. Now is the time of God's favour. And lastly, we can confidently walk through life in this broken and fallen and corrupt world knowing that God has set a day when he will put it all right. No, the preacher's not having a midlife crisis, neither this one or this one. I'm 56, so I'm past it. He's getting clarity. He's getting perspective. He's getting wisdom about life under the sun. That it's a gift, a good gift from a good God. The God who's put eternity in our hearts and who has done for us all we need so that we as sinners, worthy of his judgment, part of this broken, fallen world under heaven, can experience his salvation and spend eternity with him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this, yeah, unusual book. This, this unusual part of your word that we are in over these few weeks. We thank you for the way that it diagnoses things. And the way it prescribes wisdom for us. We thank you for the big picture that it can give us when we so easily get lost in the detail. Father, we thank you that life as we receive it is a gift from you. Help us to give thanks even each and every day and to lean on you and to look to you to make everything beautiful in its time, to bring beauty that only you can. Father, we thank you that you have made us in your image. You have created us for this life and forever, for eternity, and in your Son. You have done all that we need in his death on the cross for our sins, in his death conquering resurrection that will raise us from the dust one day so that we might know you and love you and enjoy you forever. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.